Welcome to Civic Discourse, a podcast all about civics and political free government conversation. I am Jake Bailey, and I will be hosting these conversations, and with me is my dad, Chad Bailey. He has spent the last 30 years of his life teaching government and history. What we hope for this to be is an informative, educational, and enlightening conversation. There is an ignorance in today's society about civics and government that has been swallowed up by the party politics of today. There has become a left or a right, a conservative or a liberal, and a Republican or a Democrat. We hope to strip out the bowl of party politics and have a genuine conversation about civics. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Civic Discourse. Originally, we were going to do a whole other episode on Article 3 that involved the shadow docket and how the court has been affected by the 14th Amendment, which no other amendment has come close to providing progress and dissent and discussion to the Supreme Court. However, we determined that it wasn't going to be feasible to do a good, solid look at the 14th Amendment and the Supreme Court without having at least two more pods, probably three, and a good hour and a half to two hours, or a good hour and hour and a half pod. Um, And by uh, deciding not to do that, we would be doing a disservice to the conversation by squeezing it into 30-ish minutes. So we're going to shelve that for now and revisit it at a later date, probably when we talk about the the, uh, Bill of Rights and, and ensuing amendments um, here in the future. We're still going to talk about the shadow docket, um, which is uh, essentially known as the, uh, the Supreme Court hands down um, decisions that uh, defy its normal procedural regularity. Um, and then we're going to jump into Article 4 uh, and continue our conversation there. Uh, so, Dad, why don't you start us off talking about the shadow docket here a little bit? Okay, if you look at at uh, definitions by, or you know where this came about, the docket obviously, obviously a docket simply means um, list of cases in which the Supreme Court's going to hear, um, and the shadow doc docket, um, and I'm going to make sure I get this right, William Bod, or yep. Bode, Bode, William Bod, yep. Professor of law at the University of Chicago, um, he came across. He, he termed this uh, the coin, coined the phrase "shadow docket" uh, based on the fact that, as Jake mentioned, that there's not a lot of normal procedural process going on in the Supreme Court, seemingly, especially since uh, this was doc. This shadow docket came about ra- roughly in 2015, 2016. Um, and the procedures have been kind of interesting of past past uh, courts uh, dealing with uh, former presidents. But uh, we get into the Trump administration and it's overwhelming how many number of cases were decided um, in a matter of, of not going through the proper procedures, if you will. So it opens up some cans of worm a can of worms for uh how our system works and it's not just the court system i i'll throw that in it's also uh in the league in the uh, legislative branch of congress and it breaks it down all the way down to the local levels of of government where um seemingly for whatever reason 
we don't have to go through the parliamentary procedure or normal procedures we normally go through. But the Supreme Court now has heard a number of cases that fall outside of the normal procedures and handing down either decisions or, um, you know, waiving, almost seemingly waiving the, uh, the process, and that's not normal for the court. So the majority of the Supreme Court uh, cases in the last several years have come from the shadow docket. Uh, which opens up a lot of problems when it looks at the fact that they are only supposed to view each case based on constitutionality uh, without following the constitutional guidelines that um, that can open up a lot of problems. Yeah, and and we'll get into that um, here in, here in a few minutes. Uh, but just just so everyone's aware. Uh, there's really two categories uh, of dockets um, and, and Vod lays it out um, in, in his paper. That was a fun read. Uh, if you want to geek out for a little, for about two hours, go ahead and give it a read, but it can be kind of, it, it's a lot more scholarly in, in writing. And that's because he's one of the uh, um, lead scholars of constitutional law and uh, originalism uh, today. So the, the first one, and that's the one we're most familiar with, right. that's the merits docket. Uh, it's the normal procedure docket. You, you go through the, the channels that you got the writ of certiorari. Uh, you got the briefs written. Uh, so the, um, the, the justices can, you know, kind of set up exactly, you know, what questions they want to ask. They can see what arguments the, uh, the lawyers are going to be presenting during oral, oral arguments. Uh, then you have the oral arguments. Uh, then you have the decisions and opinions. Um, the shadow docket, uh, which, as 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 uh, Dad mentioned, is uh, barely six years or you know, six years old in, in terms of name, but um, it's been it's been you know it's existed um, for I mean as long as I can remember, which is not near as long as as probably a lot of other people. But um, these cases fall outside the norm of. Uh, outside of the normal procedures. Uh, typically, though not exclusively, these are emergency cases where time is of the essence. Um, you see that in uh, uh, execution stays. Um, we saw that with the uh, election uh, challenges. Election results, yeah. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of things, well, we, we even saw it with uh, the, uh, the eviction moratorium as well um, and you're gonna you're gonna see it with mask mandate issues yep. anything with coronavirus written on it it's gonna be yep. it's gonna go through the shadow docket process yep oh and and yeah so i what exactly is the shadow docket um it, it it's the docket that is set aside primarily for uh anodyne orders or orders giving parties more time to file a brief or extending oral arguments, which if you get down to the, the shadow docket uh, decision, if you will, of, of the Texas fetus heartbeat abortion bill that just came out earlier this month, that is essentially what they did with that. They're going to be listening. Uh, the, the court's going to be hearing an actual oral argument case uh, uh dealing with abortion specifically the missouri uh, mississippi abortion law so they're just saying we're going to be hearing a, a case on this 
we're not going to make a decision on this right now. And so you just, you know, you see instances where they, they do make the right choice, but it's very murky water in which they do that choice. And uh, we will discuss that here in a couple minutes. Um, so that, why don't you kind of talk about the, uh, the, you know, the scrutiny and the criticism that, uh, that you've come across. Okay. When you, when you look at um, anytime that there's something out there that doesn't seem to be right, everybody wants to look into it. So um, Congress has stepped in a number of other uh, experts have stepped in uh, and a lot of people have had opinions about it. So, um, one of the, one of the, uh, early, the, the most, uh, recent investigations, if you will, is by representative Hank Johnson, chair of the house of judiciary subcommittee on courts and, uh, Stephen Vladek. I think that's how you pronounce that, uh, an expert in national security and also war crimes and professor at, uh, UT, which believe that stands for Texas yep. uh, School of Law and the host of National Security Law broadcast, our podcast with Bobby Chesney. Um, and then, of course, some justices here um, that have stepped in to Breyers and, and uh, Kagan that look at all sorts of cases, including um, very, very uh, interesting dissents on the whole woman's health versus Jackson case. Um, so when you look at, at all this going on, there maybe not an investigation, but belief, belief to look at uh, criticism and um, questioning the integrity of the whole process. The, the court's process, as um, Vlandex says, uh, quote, for a court whose legitimacy depends largely on the on the public's perception of its integrity, the growth of unseen, unsigned, and unexplained decisions that disrupt life for millions of Americans can only be a bad thing and is reason enough for the court to bring more of these rulings out of the proverbial, proverbial and literal shadows. Um, so there's a lot of uh, people that are questioning the integrity, not only the integrity of the court and the process of the court, but how the court may be going against uh, the constitutional wishes uh, of our system of government. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, uh, Bod and Vladek also bring up a issue with uh, the apparent bias at the rate in which uh, requests are granted. Um, and I'm, I'm, I, I prefer Vladek's commentary on, on things. I, I've, I found his podcast and I've, I found his you know stuff that he does to be enlightening. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to you know quote what he wrote in the Harvard Law Review earlier this year, um, which is by waiting for most cases to go through multiple layers of review by lower courts, the court itself, the, the court gives itself the benefit of multiple rounds of briefings and argument to abandon this norm only in cases in which the federal government is the complaining party is to invite serious objections grounded in fairness and equity and to necessarily tilt the court's limited resources towards an undoubtedly important but importantly narrow class of disputes we're still such a shift gives at least the appearance that the court is showing favoritism not only to the federal government as a party 
but for a specific political party when it's in control of the federal government. Uh, so you see a lot of, there's a lot of, of criticism, especially in, in legal circles. Um, and it's starting to fade into uh, the political circles as well of the shadow docket. And, and one of the, the key components of the shadow docket rulings is it makes it incredibly difficult for the lower courts to know how to proceed when uh, they get an issue uh, that was raised on or raised on the shadow docket uh, and it comes across their desk, you know, they don't know exactly how to proceed yeah, because yeah. the court doesn't give an opinion. They don't sign their decision. You see dissents from it uh, that are signed, but there's no, there's no requirement for them to give a written opinion. And therefore, you know, the lower courts don't know the, the logic behind it, the reason behind it, um, how to proceed in this case or that case. Uh, there's absolutely no guide rails. It's just throwing down, you know, a huge slab of cement and saying, all right, play basketball without having any lines drawn. And so it's it just, it's, it's not feasible for it to continue at this rate. And so something's got to happen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for better or worse, it's become a major part of the Supreme Court. And um, it seems like we're kind of at the uh, the legislation is going to have to regulate its procedure. And the, to say legislation is not moving anywhere anytime soon would be an understatement at the federal level. Um, yeah, to so. get to get something done at the federal level, you have to actually be in session. Everybody says, well, they're not in session. Well, they've been on recess since I don't know when. But the court system, um, just a quick reminder for people that study the court system, their job is to view the Constitution and, and study the Constitution and former cases, not just to come up with things. Uh, it almost seems that we have... Um, a lost soul and it's it's going it's trickling down not only to the lower courts in the court cases but also we when you talk about the 14th amendment it's affecting state and local courts uh maybe not so much courts but legislation and and executive branches it's it's a mumbo jumbo mess um and we're letting it happen so um you know, there's some, something to be said about regulation and procedures in um, Congress and legislative branch or the court system and the executive branch need to follow that because they expect us to follow the laws of the land as well. Yep. Yep. Well, that's that's going to close out our Article three conversation. Um, and so we're going to we're going to jump into Article four here, which um, talks about the states and, you know, certain things given to the states and guaranteed by the states and for the states. Uh, so, Dad, why don't you start us off okay. with Section 1. Section 1 is the states, acts, and re and records. Um, each state, obviously, can uh, can keep track of records and judicial proceedings, uh, but each state shall have access to other states' public records as well, and Congress regulates those records and access to it, um, um, Full faith and credit clause uh, will come to mind later on where we we as, as citizens are protected by that same thing. Uh, section two is citizenship. Every citizen in every state 
um, would be entitled to the same privileges. Any person or citizen who flees one state and goes to another to avoid justice shall be returned, uh, which we'll get into uh, uh, the case of Puerto Rico versus uh, Brandstad in 1987, uh, which the federal courts had the power to enforce extradition uh, overruling Kentucky versus Denison from all the way back in 1860. So you can guess what that case was about. <laughs> uh, it, it rhymes with slavery. Okay. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and in this, you also have yeah. the, uh, what they call the fugitive slave clause, which right. is essentially rendered moot now because of the 13th amendment in, in 19 or 1869 or 65. Uh, but yeah, we see a lot of, a lot of, you know, progress being made in terms of, you know, we, we set up these, these guide rails yeah. and then as things come up, it's like, all right, how do we, you know, adjudicate this or legislate that? And, and, you know, how do we work through it all? And you see here some flawed, some flawed reasoning goes into it in, in 1860 and it takes 127 years yeah. to overturn that, that yeah. flawed thinking. And so it's, We'll it have can be a s slow process sometimes. We'll have a better, a, a, maybe not a better example, but a same example of Plessy versus Ferguson in the 1800s and Brown v. the Board of Education in 18, uh, 1954. Yeah. Um, and while we're on that, real quick, just a little side note, a little advertisement on the 13th Amendment, um, which there has been, there was a, a great movie made several years ago called Lincoln. <laughs> And uh, everybody assumes, oh, that's Lincoln's life, presidency. Uh, the main topic, the 13th Amendment and how that may be passed and uh, how that was, even though uh, Abraham Lincoln would have been um, so proud of the fact that they passed the 13th Amendment. Uh, he's assassinated, sadly, um, and doesn't see all those things through, but if the movie is 100% accurate, there were some shortcuts that Abraham Lincoln took. Honest Abe did some some uh, some uh, back 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 door uh, bargaining, if you will, back yeah. back room bargaining. Well, right. Well, he he wasn't an attorney by trade, so that kind of comes with the territory. But he also had his uh, I guess you could I don't want to say henchman because that carries that yeah. connotation, but. Yeah, yes. he, has, he has some he, some, some lower level and, guys do a lot yeah. of the work. It's and if you remember back, go way back, way back, uh, for those of you that are following these podcasts, um, Abraham Lincoln was in somebody's top five, I think both of ours. Uh, but so, yeah. so long ago, I can remember as our number ones. But uh, <laughs> but uh, how influential he was. So anyway, I had to put that in there. So I'll go on to section three here in dealing with something that is coming up again, new states. Mm -hmm. Only Congress can admit a new state to the union. We have not officially done that since 1959. Uh, don't want to really tear down the walls of saying, oh, Washington, D.C. wants to be a state. Um, we're going to add a 51st, maybe a 52nd state. Uh, I don't see it happening, but uh, there's that there's that shadow um, of legislative docket hanging over us there. But um, Congress can do that. Only Congress can do that. Um, and they have to, though they have to work with the jurisdiction of other states, um, 
to have states become a state within those states, if that makes sense. Hawaii and Alaska in 1959 were both territories and then become states. Uh, there are a couple of examples here, Maine and Massachusetts, West Virginia and Virginia. And then, of course, the, the most famous one, Maryland uh, and Virginia, given up part of their state to become Washington, D.C. But they're states that have come to be, uh, you know, in that process of jurisdiction over over what territory they have versus the federal government. So Congress does uh, have all authority to regulate all properties of the states, but that 14th Amendment comes into play here again, uh, even though it doesn't mention it in here. Um, the integrity of the states have to be protected. The guaranteed, uh, in the Constitution, guaranteed freedom, or guaranteed, sorry, the guarantee of a Republican form of government. That is referring to the fact that we, the people, decide things, not just the elected officials. Yeah, that's not that's not the Republican Party. That is uh, the Republican, the Republican government. Mayor, yes. yes, yes. Okay, so that yeah. was a mouthful. I probably left something out, but we'll. Uh, if you have questions on that, I'll leave Jake's phone number for you at the end of the podcast. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. All right. Well, the. Uh, it also uh, there's also the guarantee that um, the United States will protect against invasion and domestic rebellion as well, yes. which you know we we have we're, many instances of that in our in the history, and we're going to have more unfortunately. Um, yeah. Well, it, that's yeah. So, um, Article Five, Article that that kind of wraps up Article Four. Yep which we knew we'd probably zip through these because it, it is very, very shallow. Uh, important stuff, it, but not as meaty as some other things we want to eventually get into. So Article 5 is amending the Constitution, which has been done a whopping 27 times uh, formally. Um, so <laughs> it, took, it, it took one almost 200, under, over 200 years to actually... The 27th Amendment was originally going to be a Bill of Rights, uh, the, the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments were introduced by one of my favorite people, James Madison, um, not John Adams, but that, that's a different argument for later. But he had 12 amendments, 10 of them get ratified. Number 11 falls off. I have no idea what it was. Number 12 originally, not the number 12 that we have today. Number 12 becomes in uh, 1992. 1992. Proposed in 1791, ratified 1992, um, the 27th Amendment. And here's how we go about doing that. Two-thirds of both House, the House and the Senate are needed to vote to propose an amendment. Or two-thirds of the state legislatures called at a special convention. The first one, two-thirds of both chambers needing to pass a proposed constitutional amendment is right now the only proposed that has been proposal that has ever been used. And at the second part, it's called the ratification. And the ratification is three-fourths of the state legislatures need to pass the amendment to be ratified, which means it's passed on to we, the people. So three-fourths of the states have to ratify the Constitution, uh, to, uh, an amendment to change it. So... When people say we're going to get rid of the Electoral College, we're going to have term limits, we're going to limit the number of, of uh, 
terms of the House and the Senate, because right now the president is the only one that's limited. That is not an easy task. Think about this for a second. We need 38 of the 50 states, 38 of the 50 to buy into something for it to become a constitutional amendment. Uh, 1973 Equal Rights Amendment was proposed. Uh, it has not passed in all 38 of the 50 states, so therefore it's still out there. That's one of many. There's a ton of them that have been proposed that haven't been ratified. So, yep. uh, but I was when I was teaching, one of the assignments I did, uh, <laughs> and I did say you got to use federal level cases or examples. Um, let's let's propose a 28th amendment. And the last five years of my teaching career, the number one issue was the most controversial issue of all, abortion. A uh, majority of our students in Holdridge were in favor of banning abortion in the Constitution. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that will never happen for a number of reasons. Number one, n- number one it, 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 would, it would be challenged left and right in, in the court system for it to even be in uh, the issue being in the Constitution. Now, state, states have tried to do that uh, for years and years, and that's where we end up in the situation where we have today. Okay, so I'm about out of uh, I need a 30-second time out here to catch my breath. That is an interesting fact. Yeah. It probably speaks more to, to your very rural Nebraska location than, than anything else. Uh, but yeah, I, wow. Abortion as the 20th Amendment, that would there's no way that would ever happen for well, I just, legal as a reasons. Side, I mean, yeah. you've, you've, you've got Roe, which I mean, yeah. just basically paved the way right. for, for what is the actual standard now for abortion, which is Casey. Uh, there's no, it would, it wouldn't even hold up scrutiny before the well, courts. I'd say abortion would, would be, would make, and I'm going to be careful in saying this because I don't want to offend anybody. Um, Abortion being proposed to be bigger than the slave slavery issue of the 1800s. Yeah, it'd be it'd be pretty dang close, uh, though. I don't know if, if Twitter was around in, in the 1860s, 1850s. Oh. It would have been it'd been pretty close. Uh, I would have I probably would have just gone with with the easy little changing of of the uh, requirements to be a part of the uh, the House and the Senate um, raise them you know, another t- five, 10 years as well as the president. That way you can take away a lot of these, you know, career politicians without right. having to deal with the mess of, of potential term limits and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's what people don't understand is the framers did not intend for somebody to serve lifelong terms when they're, when they set the ages, because life expand life expectancy, I would be, uh, I'd be at the end of the rope. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, it was. It was and I'm just, it. and I'm just now going through a midlife crisis. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like 58 was was the life expectancy for men, and and 60 was the life expectancy for women. And was, I mean, yeah. John Adams lived in 93, and he was about as much the exception of, to the rule as you'll find. Right. Well, anyway, I bring up I bring up James Madison once, and there he goes dropping yeah. the J A. It's like, who's better, LeBron or Michael Jordan? Come on. I mean, (laughs) 
Adams is clearly Jordan because Adams wrote the Massachusetts uh, Constitution first, and Madison basically used it. that yeah. as his example. So, yep. you know, yeah, there you go. Anyway, always, that always picking on short people. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what I do. Uh, John Adams was just as short almost. <laughs> Okay. okay. Oh, okay. All right. I told you we get. I told you you would get us derailed on this. I did not. You did. Yes. Oh, now okay. we. Hey. All right. Yes, here, I listen to Nebraska volleyball once in a while. Here's a John Baylor take here. All right. Let's hit the pavement here one more time. We we got to put the foot down on the pavement and get going because we're way behind here. All right. <laughs> here we go. Article that's, six. That's I'm not as good as JB, but anyway. Article yeah. six. Uh, supremacy clause uh supremacy of this of the national government this is where we get in trouble i i believe but anyway uh valid debts all debts prior to the constitution would still apply uh would, wouldn't you like to have the debt uh, of 1789 when the constitution <laughs> goes into effect it was 43 million dollars yeah not forty-three but, trillion, but million. But with inflation, that's quite a bit different. As my friend Doctor Evil would say, one million dollars. Okay. Yeah. Now I digress yeah. again. I think it's a lack of sleep. Okay. Yeah. Sure. We'll go with so, that. So yeah. valid, valid debts, all debts, all the state debts uh, before the Constitution would apply to the federal government. I think states would like to do that again right now. There's a lot of states trillions in debt. And uh, just be glad that we live in the most heavily taxed state in the union because we are rocking a surplus right now in the state of Nebraska somehow. Yeah, uh, one of the one of the few. It, it'll be gone when they when they do the uh, the Nebraska level of of buyouts for teachers because mine's coming. That day's coming. Jeez. So, <laughs> Section Two: Supremacy, the uh, Supreme Law, the Constitution, and the laws of the land. Uh, which go in are they uh, that the Congress passes uh, made in compliance with the Constitution, so it has to be constitutionally checked. Are the supreme laws of the land? All right. So again, this is hard for me to really talk about. There's a lot of stupid legislation out there, but the Constitution is a is a not a perfect document. It's a document that I love more than any other. Uh, again, I don't claim to be the expert on it, unless I'm talking about the expert in Holdridge, Nebraska. Uh, I think I've studied more about the Supreme Court or the Constitution than anybody else. So uh, I know my dear friend Nate DeWalt's out there listening. Uh, take that, Mr. DeWalt. We'll talk later about uh, out-of-court settlements. So, uh, Oh, my gosh. I, I'm rambling on here. And it's, I want to get, get through this. It's gone completely <laughs> off the rails. My goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and – the main, the main purpose of, of this section and this article does stem from the Articles of Confederation, which was just a whole bunch Horrible. of things that thrown together that the states basically said states' rights, states' rights, states' yeah. rights. There was no cohesion between the 13 yeah. states. And so this, was brought, this brought them together as a way of, all right, you still have your own autonomy, uh, but what the federal government says is what all you guys have to follow. And then you're, and, yeah. And then you're going to have to, you're going to have to back up again later on in 1868 when we, we when uh, our country ratifies the 14th amendment, because that gave more. And, and but even the 10th amendment, 
which we'll maybe talk about later, which I argue with anybody doesn't even exist anymore. And that states the guaranteed powers to the states, which have all almost been trampled on and disintegrated by uh, by the political process on the federal level. Okay, so uh, Section 3, loyalty to con uh, the Constitution. All legislators, all members of Congress, executive branch, and all judges should be bound to the oath of this Constitution, and there's limitations. They used to have uh, religious tests, and then um, they had a number of other, other things, so those are all unconstitutional. Uh, there you have it. And then we get to Article 7, and the ratification uh, that we just mentioned, Jake just mentioned, uh, prior to this Articles of Confederation, there were 13 independent states of the United States. And this would rally in. You had to have nine of the 13 ratify it. And then originally, or uh, obviously all 13 will do it. And for any state to come into the union thereafter had to ratify the Constitution. So the Constitutional Convention adjourned on september 17th which is tomorrow yep, tomorrow yep. is constitution day oh no well, no no saturday is constitution yeah. day so tomorrow yeah. it's public schools because we're always a day ahead in public schools because we don't know what to teach our kids anymore um uh, it is september 17th is uh should it's be tomorrow. officially That's, constitutional that that is that is tomorrow by the way it is oh, it the is 16th. Tomorrow. yeah it is we are we are recording this on the yes, 16th. Yes, it is the 16th. So, so tomorrow is Constitution yeah. Day. Sorry. So so when you are listening to this, <laughs> it would have been last Friday. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. We I think yeah. I need I think that I need oxygen. A lot. I need oxygen. Yeah. Well, and, and the Article 7 really that's the only part of this that is essentially no longer living and breathing. It is the thing they what the the guidelines they put out that said, this is how this is going to be ratified and established and established. Yeah, it's already established. It doesn't have to be ratified again. Okay. It essentially is just a part of the Constitution as a this is how we did this. Yeah, um, and so the rest of these are all part of the you know they say it's a living breathing document. Uh, I, I I mean it, it clearly is if you can add the amendments to it and laws come in and, and court cases and all that stuff but um so yeah, that that wraps up our our deep dive into the uh the constitution of the united states um we're still trying to brainstorm what we're going to be doing next uh, i've got a couple ideas but um make sure you check back weekly um uh, subscribe uh rate and review if you'd like to we we would appreciate that um but until next time.